Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we're going to talk about Joseph's life as a slave in Potiphar's house. And also, where is God in the midst of our suffering? Does he see injustices that are done to us? And how do we have hope and keep trusting him whenever everything seems to be going wrong? Genesis 39 and Lesson 3 of the Sons of Israel study. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. On the last episode, we talked about Joseph's brother Judah and his family. And so if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen because it's a pretty crazy story. On that episode, we talked about making excuses and procrastinating and also being a hypocrite and then how God can redeem all of that. This week, we're going to get back to Joseph and what happened after he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, I do want to say one more time that I am so sorry about not having the Joseph study online for y'all to buy yet. I am working on it now since the sound is working, but it's still several chapters to study and write, and so it's taken me a little bit of time, but hopefully I'll have it done really soon. Now, today we're going to go ahead and begin reading in Genesis 39, and I'm just going to read the first verse, and then I want us to reflect upon it for just a minute. So it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So before we go any further in the story of Joseph, and if you happen to know the story of Joseph, try to forget what you know just for a minute and think about what would you feel like if you were him? What would you feel like as you rode away in that caravan? after your brothers had just sold you to perfect strangers, taken their money, and sent you away. I'm sure he's wondering what in the world he did to deserve all of this, because he seemed really quite oblivious to how much his brothers hated him, because he told them his dreams, and he continued to tell his dad bad things about them. And if he knew that they had bad feelings towards him, it doesn't seem that he was aware that they hated him this much. So it seems like he would be wondering what in the world he had done to deserve all of this. And even if he understood why his brothers felt like this, how could God let this happen? You know, doesn't he care about Joseph or the injustice that his brothers had just done to him? Doesn't he care that Joseph really hasn't done anything wrong at all to deserve this? Why would God not fight for him? You know, not only is Joseph being betrayed, but he's being forced to leave his home and his father. And the life of privilege that he's known forever And now he's going to a stranger's house. He has no idea who this guy is, doesn't know what he's going to be like. He's used to being in a house where his father loves him to death. And now he doesn't know what it's going to be like in this new place. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see his father again. It would just have to be heartbreaking and terrifying, I would think. 
And so some of the answers to these questions are going to become a little more clear later. But at this moment, if you were Joseph, it just seems like you'd be thinking a lot of those things. And so I just wanted us to put ourselves in his shoes just for a moment before we heard the ending to his story, because are we not in positions like him at times? And we don't know the end of the story, right? And so I want us to be able, before we know the end of the story, to be able to relate to him so that when we do know the end of the story, maybe it'll give us a little bit of hope in our own lives. Because at this point, he must have been really mad, really sad, confused, scared. He must have felt tons of different emotions. And I'm sure he felt like God had abandoned him, you know? Even if he's holding on to the dreams that God gave him, he must be confused at the least. And at the most, he would feel like God abandoned him. Like he had just let all these bad things happen to him for no good reason. So anyway, keep those thoughts in your mind. We're going to keep reading. It says in verse two, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Pharaoh's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he didn't know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Okay, so let's stop right there. Now we see that God was with him, right? God hadn't abandoned him. He was with him the whole time. It says that explicitly. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was successful. And also that the Lord had made Potiphar favor him. And so wonder if it was a coincidence that he was sold to Potiphar specifically, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, a privileged man himself. There's really no coincidences with God, is there? You know, when God's with us, it doesn't really matter what our circumstances are. We can be successful with his help. And so I want to read you a verse found in Joshua 1, 7 through 9. This verse just kind of tells us that. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joseph's proof of that, right? He's proof that he didn't have to be afraid. He could be courageous and not lose hope because God was with him and God was taking care of him. He only needed to obey the Lord. That was his only part. God took care of the rest. And you know, Joseph must have talked about God because Potiphar recognized that his success was because of God. And then God made Potiphar have favor towards him. And that just got me to thinking, can God do that for us? Can he make others favor us for one reason or the other? You know, someone in authority or a boss so that we can get a job or a teacher or a stranger or an enemy, you know, someone that we need to have favor on us for some specific reason. Can he do that for us? 
Listen to what he did for the children of Israel later on whenever they leave Egypt. I'm going to try not to give away too much of the story, but I want you to just see what happens. In Exodus 3.20, it says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, then Pharaoh will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, of articles of silver, gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and daughters and plunder the Egyptians. So he tells them to do that. And then in chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 35, it tells how they did do that. And God did give them favor, it says. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians article of silver, gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor inside of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So God did this other times. And it just makes me think that he can do that for us if we ask him and if it's in his will for us to be favored by that person for one reason or the other. And so notice that since Joseph was so successful, Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. And by doing that, God was fulfilling his promise that whoever blessed him would be blessed. Remember in Genesis at the very start of the journey of Abraham, God told Abraham and then he later told Jacob, who is Joseph's dad, whoever blesses you, I will bless and whoever curses you, I will curse. He's doing that here for Joseph. Potiphar is blessing Joseph and God is blessing Potiphar because he's placed his trust in Joseph. And so not only was Joseph successful, but Potiphar was successful whenever Joseph was in charge. Okay, so let's continue reading. This is the second part of verse 6 of chapter 39. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master doesn't know what is with me in this house, and he's committed all that he has in my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not pay attention to her to lay with her or be with her. We're going to stop right there. How in the world did he have that much self-control to continuously turn her down? That's got to be difficult, right? Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will always make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. One way we know that he was able to resist this temptation is because God was with him and always was there showing him a way out. But still, he had tremendous self-control, right? So listen to these couple of verses about self-control. The first one's found in Galatians 5, 16, and we're going to go ahead and read that whole passage. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, then you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, 
heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, these who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So the answer to why Joseph was able to resist the lusts of the flesh is because he's walking in the Spirit. Because adultery is one of the lusts of the flesh. But it tells us here, if we walk in the Spirit, then we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And we'll produce fruits of the Spirit, which one of those is self-control. One of those is goodness. One of those is faithfulness. Okay, so that's one way he was able to do that. Look also in John 10, 4 through 5. It says, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So this is talking about Jesus and we are his sheep. And so he goes before us and we know his voice and we listen to his voice and we follow his voice. And it says we won't follow the voice of a stranger because we don't know that voice. And so if we're walking with God and following Jesus and listening to his voice and what he's telling us to do, then we're going to be able to better resist temptation, right? The more time we spend with God, then the easier it is to act like him. And when we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we allow him to live through us, then we produce his fruits naturally. It's not so much work for us, right? Now, I also want you to notice what Joseph tells Potiphar's wife whenever she asks him to sleep with her. He says, Potiphar has put me in charge of everything in his house, and he's kept nothing back from me but you. You're the only thing that I'm not allowed to have. And rightfully so, right? Because you're his wife. So how can I do something so wicked when he's given me all things, when he's given me authority over all things? And all I have to do is just keep away from you. Does this remind you of any other story that we know? Any other one forbidden thing? First thing that came to my mind was Adam and Eve. In the beginning, right? When sin entered the world, God told Adam and Eve, you can have every single tree in this garden, but one. Just like he told Joseph, you can have access to everything in this house, but one thing. And it was just their perspective that changed their actions, right? Eve was focused on the one thing that she wasn't allowed to have. But Joseph was focused on all the things that he had instead of the one thing that he couldn't. And he was like, with all of the things that I have, how could I betray my master's trust like that and take what rightfully belonged to him? And so it was just a matter of perspective. When we focus on, I can't have that, ooh, I want that, then that's a temptation that's very, very difficult to resist. But if we focus on all the things that we do have, then we don't even really care about the thing we don't have. And that's where Joseph was. He's like, I've got so much stuff. Why would I need to take his wife? And look how kind he's been to me and how much he trusts me. I can't betray that trust. And then notice also that he's not only concerned about Potiphar, but he's also concerned about God. He says, how could I sin against God like that? 
Not only could he not betray Potiphar after all Potiphar had given to him, but he couldn't betray God after all that God had done for him. You know, God has ability to bless or to curse us. Did you know that? We don't hear very much about that because we don't like to think that God would do things like that because in our minds in this day and age, God only, you know, blesses us. But if bad things happen, then that has to be Satan, right? has to be Satan. But that's not what the Bible says. God punishes us whenever we do not obey him. Listen to this verse in Deuteronomy 28. This is Moses telling the people what it's going to be like whenever they get into the promised land. And he gives them two choices. He says, beginning in verse one, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. And then it lists all of these different blessings. But then look at verse 15. It says, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of the commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then it begins to list all of those. And so Joseph had enough fear of the Lord to say, I couldn't do this wicked thing against my God because I don't want to be punished by him. And on the flip side, because I have obeyed him all of this time, look at all the blessings he's given me. Why would I give all that up just to have one thing, right? That's what Eve and Adam did. They gave all of it up just by giving into the temptation of wanting the one thing that they were told they couldn't have. And so Joseph's like, I'm not going to do that. You're the only thing that's been withheld from me and you rightfully belong to Potiphar and I'm not going to betray him like that. And I'm not going to sin against my God like that. So let's read on and see how Potiphar's wife responds to his continuous dismissal of her requests. Beginning in verse 11, it says, But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment and she said, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lift my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Okay, so first of all, this is a very good reason to... Never be alone with a person that's not your spouse, right? Because you don't ever want to be in a position where someone can say that you did something that you didn't do. And I just want to throw out there this whole business about women won't lie about being raped. Obviously, they've been doing that since the beginning of time. Now, I'm not saying that every woman lies by any means because these things definitely happen for sure. Men have also been raping women since the beginning of time. But we just have to look at the evidence on both sides all of the time because sometimes the woman's telling the truth and sometimes the man's telling the truth. 
Sometimes the woman's the one doing the wrong thing and sometimes the man's doing the wrong thing, just like in any other thing in the world. And so anybody that has in their mind this new phrase of believe all women and all of that business should probably be pointed to this chapter because it's been happening since forever that women lie about being raped. And I've heard recently people say, well, why would the woman lie? Well, this woman lied because she was irritated because she kept getting turned down. She's sick of it and she just wants to hurt him like he hurt her or whatever. There's tons of reasons, but this woman's reason was that. So we do have to be careful. We have to be careful to not put ourselves in a tempting situation where we might do something that we shouldn't do or in a situation where someone could say we did something that we didn't. And also women, just a note, tell your sons, tell your sons this. It's a good story to read to your son. Let him know. Hey, women have been doing this forever. So don't put yourself in a situation where someone can say you did something that you didn't do because it's awful hard to prove that you didn't. And also don't put yourself in a situation where it might be difficult for you to not do something you're not supposed to do. Listen to these couple of verses. Proverbs 6, 25 through 29. Now, mind you, Proverbs is the book that Solomon, the wisest king ever, wrote to his son, who was going to later be king, to give him advice on life and how to be a good king. So again, like I said, tell your sons, this is what Solomon told his son. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. So that's just really a warn against adultery, but it lets you know how women will try to seduce you, even if they're married. Next verse, Proverbs seven twenty one and 22. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a fool to the correction of the stocks. So beware, beware. And also don't be that kind of woman, right? Both of those things. Because in a situation like that, it's just your word against theirs. There's no way to determine who's telling the truth. And you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you are innocent, but there's no one around to prove that. That's the reason that bearing false witness is such a big deal. Why that's one of the Ten Commandments. And why God calls in his law that there should be two or more witnesses before you can put a person to death because he knows that sometimes people lie, right? Sometimes they lie. Listen to this. This is God's law on basically gathering evidence against a person. Deuteronomy 19, beginning in verse 15. One witness shall not arise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness arises against any man to testify against him of any wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days, and the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his neighbor, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother, so that you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. 
Your eye shall not pity him. Life shall be for a life. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. So that's why he says these things, right? Because of instances like this. He's like, one witness can't accuse another person of something without another witness there to establish that it's true. Because he knows that one person's word against another is not going to work. And then if there becomes a false witness against someone and it's proven that that witness is false, then whatever it is they were seeking to have done to the person that they accused, then that needed to be done to them. So if you accuse someone of rape and you are found to be lying, then whatever their punishment was going to be, that now has to be your punishment. If you accuse someone of murder and you're found to be lying, then whatever their punishment was going to be, that's your punishment and so on and so on. And this is done as a deterrent for people to be false witnesses. And it's also done as a deterrent for people to lie about something that happened in secret because there's no way to prove that. And then Potiphar's wife, man, she's good at this, right? Because notice how she handles herself. I mean, she just keeps on just making the right moves because she screams really fast so that she can make sure that everybody hears the scream. And then she goes and tells other people, hey, this is why I was screaming so that she can then set the stage for when her husband comes home, she can say, hey, I already told these people like she's, you know, told more than one person. So more people can at least testify that they were told that this happened, right? And that they heard the scream. And she even felt like she had evidence to prove this because he left his clothes in her hand as he tried to run away. And so she kept those there right beside her so that whenever her husband got home, she could say, and so see, look at this. See, obviously he did this thing because his clothes are right here. So again, if if you guys think that girls will not do something like this, like we're not smart enough or something, you're crazy, okay? Because she has this whole thing planned out. Now I say we, obviously, I don't do these things. I'm just saying women are not beyond using manipulative tactics and scheming ideas to get other people in trouble. And then notice in case all of this wasn't compelling enough, she made sure that her husband remembered that Joseph was his servant that he brought into that house in the very first place. And that way, if he wanted to have pity on Joseph, he really couldn't because it was all his fault anyway. And then she had told all these people all of these things. And so if he didn't believe her, then he was going to have to openly accuse his wife. And so she set all of this up from the beginning. So it says Potiphar is angry, right? Obviously, if he believes this, he's angry about it. And so let's read the rest of this chapter and see what Potiphar does with Joseph once his wife tells him all of this. So beginning in verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison didn't look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. Okay. Let's just start with the first part of this, where he was thrown into prison for not betraying his master. His master throws him into prison because he didn't sleep with his wife. He had been trustworthy this whole entire time, and he still got thrown into prison. He'd done nothing wrong. And so again, Joseph must be so confused. He's like, I keep doing the right thing, and somehow I keep on getting into trouble. 
having bad things happen to me. What in the world is going on? Thankfully, even though Potiphar wasn't sure if Joseph did this or not, God knew. And so God was there. It continues to tell us that again, thankfully. You know, I'm sure Joseph was confused, but then he gets there. And again, God was with him, showed mercy on him, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And this man put Joseph in charge of the whole prison. And it says he trusted him so much that he concerned himself with nothing that he put under Joseph's authority because God was with him and God made him prosper. And he also saw this. And so even though I'm sure Joseph was still confused, it's like, why am I continuing to get punished when I haven't done anything wrong? God continues to show him favor, continues to be with him. And Joseph continues to obey the Lord, even in prison. And hey, the prison guard, he realizes Joseph's leadership qualities, right? He sees the gifts that God has given to Joseph. And he's like, hey, you are a gifted manager and leader. And I'm going to put you in charge of all these prisoners. And so this is the second time that Joseph's been put in charge of everything surrounding him. He's the second in charge again in the place that he is. And so that makes us wonder, you know, does God have a plan? Could there be some reason for all of this suffering and the positions that Joseph's being put in? God continues to show Joseph he's with him, right? We know that at least. Confused as to why God has him in these places, but we know God's there. The thing is, is that if he sees and he knows everything, then it doesn't really make sense why all these things are happening. You know, maybe on the outside, we can look in at Joseph's life and we can see, hey, God was with him. He was making him prosper. And so if he's there, he must have a plan, right? Sometimes we can look at other people's lives and we can see that even though they can't see it because they're in the middle of it. And then sometimes even when we're in the middle of it, it's like we logically know like God's with me. He sees this. I don't know why he's letting this happen, but he sees it. But it's still really hard to trust him when we're the ones in the middle of it and when none of it makes any sense because we just want God to remove all of our suffering, right? I mean, if he's a good and powerful God, why would he let his children suffer? Doesn't make any sense to us. So again, we're going to look to the Bible. When things don't make sense, we don't understand. We're going to look at some things that the word of God tells us that God himself says to us so that we can get a little perspective. So it says, this is a Psalm of David, King David, the one that God loves and puts in charge of all of Israel. Psalm 22, one through five. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear. And in the night season and am not silent, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and they weren't ashamed. So David's feeling this, right? He's like, why have you left me? I cry out to you all day and all night and you are not helping me at all. But then, then the very next thing, it's like, you know what though? You're holding and our fathers trusted you and you delivered them and they cried out to you and you delivered them. And they trusted you and they never felt ashamed for trusting you because you were always there. And so, okay, I keep crying out to you and it seems like you don't hear me, but our fathers trusted you and you ended up delivering them. So I'm going to trust you too. That's what that's saying, right? Now look in Romans 8, 17 and 18. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. 
If indeed we suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And so this reminds us that sometimes we are going to suffer. But this verse gives us hope because it says the present sufferings aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And so we at least have the expectation of heaven from the Lord, right? We know that at least if not here on this earth, then eventually we will be glorified in heaven with Jesus. God is with us and he can take care of us. And even though these sufferings feel horrible to us now, later things can be so much better, either on earth or in heaven. And so from our perspective, suffering's bad and God is good. You know, bad people can suffer, but good people shouldn't suffer. We definitely shouldn't suffer for doing good, right? Listen to these few verses. First Peter three thirteen through 17. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats or be troubled, but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason that you have hope within you with meekness and with fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So that verse is basically saying every person is going to suffer because we live in a fallen world. And so if you're going to suffer one way or the other, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Because at least you have the blessings of God with you in that situation, right? And so that lets us know that not only bad people suffer, good people suffer. And that's better for us because at least we have God on our side that way. Now look at 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So these people are suffering because they're living godly lives. So that's a thing. Now, last verse, Galatians 6, 9. This is the encouraging verse. The others are like, um, you're going to suffer. Get used to it, right? <laughs> this is the encouraging verse. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't lose heart. Don't grow weary in doing good. In due season, we will reap if we don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't get tired of doing what's right. God's going to take care of it. In his time, things will get better. Again, I'm not the kind of person that thinks that always in time things get better for us here on this earth. But if they do not get better for us here on this earth, then God will relieve us by bringing us to heaven so that things can be better for us there. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. But much of the time, we do reap goodness here on this earth. It's just that it's not time yet. And so we're going to continue to have these conversations and we'll get some more answers as we follow Joseph through these next few chapters, because this is pretty much the theme of Joseph's life, suffering and where God is and what he's doing in the midst of it. And so we're going to continue to have this conversation. But right now, we just need to see that God continues to be with him and he continues to make him successful and he continues to give him favor with all those that are around him. And so this lets us know that God is in it, right? It lets us know that God's in it. And so when we're in the midst of suffering, we need to look for evidence that God is present. Look and see. You know, ask God, show me that you're here. Let me see that you are present, that you see what's going on, that you know what's happening. Even if you don't relieve me from it this very moment, I just need to know you're here. 
And the thing is that even if we don't see any evidence of it, we know it because our evidence is in the word of God. Our evidence is here where he tells us that he is with his people, that he sees all things, that he knows all things. And so we can remind ourselves that he's in control. He knows all things and he is the good and perfect loving God. And we can trust him with our lives. Even though Joseph was confused, he knew that he could trust God with his life. And so he just kept on doing what was right, not getting tired of doing what is good, believing that at some point he was going to reap and he wasn't going to lose heart, wasn't going to lose hope. So we just have to do the same thing. Anytime we're in the middle of a confusing situation, anytime we're in the middle of a difficult time. All right. So that's all we have for today. We will go into chapter 40 next week and see what happens to Joseph while he's in prison. We already know that God's with him. So now we just have to see how everything goes while he's in there. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Leave me comments wherever you're listening. Give me a five-star review. If you'd like to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Keep checking my website, LiveThroughJesus.com for the study. And you can also go back and, and buy some of the other studies if you'd like to. Again, hopefully I'll have this one ready soon. Thanks and have a good day.